You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. All right, all right. Happy Father's Day. Hey, so something I get to do that none of you get to do is I get to say happy Father's Day to my dad, who's here today. Let's hear from my dad. So you, you all can write whatever you want in your cards, but I just did this publicly. And there are tens of tens of people online that heard that too. So happy Father's Day, Dad. That is your card. I didn't get you one. So that's what you get today, um, public affirmation. Uh, but thank you. Thank you for being a great dad um, and teaching me what it means to love my kids well um, and serve the people around me. So thank you. Love you too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this morning, uh, I, I, I had the blessing of waking up uh, to my beautiful girls. I have four girls, 10, 8, 7, and 4, uh, coming into my room after I slept in. Uh, they wrote a song for me, and they sang it. Uh, they made me breakfast in bed. Uh, my youngest daughter did this dance that was just beautiful, and um, it was just this one. They had all these gifts that they gave me, and then I woke up. And it was 4.30, and Maya was tapping me, going, Dad, I have to go potty. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think in these moments, we think that um, we have these dreams and these aspirations of, like, what life is supposed to be like, how my kids and my wife, they're supposed to serve me and love me and do things for me. Uh, But then we look at the context of Scripture, and we read Scripture, and we see that our job as dads, our roles as fathers, is to try Uh, under and in the power of the Holy Spirit to point our children to Jesus by um, surrendering our lives to Jesus and leading them to Jesus through our own walk with him and that our life actually is to be a life of service to them. My my kids did an awesome thing this morning. I came home and, and they were fantastic and they got me some cool things, but I'm realizing more and more throughout this whole week as I was reading this passage, um, God is our Father. And for some of you, the word Father or the idea of Father is tainted because maybe you've not experienced a great relationship with your dad or you're, you're, either your dad was absent or maybe he passed at an early age. And so you, you haven't had this opportunity to, to have a dad that walked alongside you. And so maybe it brings up some emotions of anxiety or fear or brokenness or bitterness. But we have to remember that God is not a replication of our earthly father. He is actually the perfection of what a father is. We don't define father and then define God God himself defines what a father is. And we all get to experience, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God as our father. And that's a beautiful thing. That's the context in which we're coming into this passage today. We've been walking through the book of Ephesians. We're in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So if you have a Bible, grab it. I'd love for you to open up the word of God. There are Bibles in the aisles, as well as something uh, Logan, he's our administrative operations director, uh, he has now officially placed all of our sermons on the YouVersion Bible app. So if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, on your iPad, maybe you're here today and you have a laptop and you're typing on it. Um, That's why you sit at the tables in the back. Um, Then uh, you can open up the YouVersion Bible app and go to events 
and then search in Fort Myers Community Church, and when you search Fort Myers Community Church, we'll pop up, and the whole outline is on there. And so that's just a way for you to follow along, to see the different passages of scriptures that we're going through. Um, so it's the Version Bible app, and then look at events, and then type in Fort Myers Community Church. But we want you to hold the word of God in your hand. We want you to see this for yourselves, because in context, we're talking about being one in Christ, and that being one in Christ is, is specifically, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about being the household of God. Well, the proper biblical household has a biblical father. And that's the father that we see here. We have this heavenly father that unites all people, no matter what status you have, what color of your skin, no matter what political party you ascribe to, that all people are united under this heavenly father so that we can know him and love him and tell the world about him. So there's this household and he wants this household to be united. So we don't stand here today as FMCC saying, FMCC is the best church in the world and, and we're, we're gonna take, take the world by storm. Like that's not our heart. In fact, I went to a church one time that they asked me to be a guest speaker at and they got up and they said, uh, their welcome, like when Jose came up, their welcome was welcome to the greatest church on earth. And I'm like, we're one church. Every church that stands firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ is one church united under this Father. We are a part of the household of God. So Redeemer Next Door is not a competitor. They are a partner and a brother in Christ. And that's what the church is supposed to be. We are supposed to unite together. I have the blessing of serving on two ministry teams that are church planting in our geography here in Southwest Florida. And they're made up of multiple churches in this geography. That's the type of church that God calls us to be, and that's what we see here in this passage of Scripture. So the last two weeks, we talked about how we are no longer strangers and aliens, because at one point, we, we were born, and we are born into something called sin. And that sin causes a severance of relationship between us and this God who created us because of the presence of sin. And it is only professing faith in Jesus alone that can reunite that relationship with God. And so as we're looking at this, we realize that we were once strangers and aliens, but now we are called children. We have been adopted. That picture of adoption is beautiful. I love for my, my daughter, Hope, she's adopted. And at one point, she was not our daughter. And then the judge hit the gavel against the bench, and then she became our daughter. The government actually sent us a new birth certificate with Lauren and my names listed as her birth parents. That's how beautiful this idea of adoption is. That we were once strangers and aliens and now we are no longer strangers and aliens. That is, does that not blow your mind? That the God of the universe that created all things loves you and knows you and wants and desires a relationship with you. This is the context and what we are speaking about. And so in verse 19, where we were last week, and I want to read this to us, look at uh, Ephesians 2, 19. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. So in context, we are brothers and sisters with all those that have gone before us. So like Jonah, Moses, Abraham, like uh, Mary, like we call them brothers and sisters 
in Christ. And, and now we are members with one another and everybody here on earth that professes faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Like our brothers and sisters in China that can't even meet in a place like this, like those are our brothers. Like we're gonna be worshiping for all of eternity with them. Like we're gonna know them and hang out with them and like chill with Moses and Abraham. Like that's the context in which we're coming in here. And then verse 20, and this is where we're gonna step into today built this household, this household of God that is united under his umbrella, his lordship, his fatherhood. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So let me explain that for a second. So we have two things that we see here. Different commentators may differ a little bit, but most of them align with what these apostles and prophets are. So the apostles are those who saw the living Christ. So we've got the 12 Disciples, right? Does anybody know the names? You want to spam off right now? Right, the 12 disciples. Maybe you do because of the new series out, Chosen, right? Um, and then we've got Paul. Paul, who is not an original 12 disciple, but he met the living Jesus on the road to Damascus after he, he died and rose again. And so these 12 apostles who are going throughout the land, sharing this good news, sharing that they saw the risen Christ and what he desires for this relationship with him to look like. Um, and then the prophets of old, so these prophets of old, which were uh, pre-Christ. So we've got uh, Isaiah and Jonah, and we've got Zephaniah and Micah, right? These, these prophets of old that had testified that there will be a Messiah coming. And so the whole Old Testament, if you, if you don't understand this, this whole Old Testament, the majority of this book, a lot of that is prophets that God had given a word to to say that there is going to be this coming Messiah. And so Isaiah says that he is going to be beaten and stricken down. He's a lamb to be slaughtered. I mean, so many prophecies, thousands of prophecies that had come fulfilled in the person of Jesus. that all came true. And so these prophets of old, but, but also some commentators would even say that there were some also that uh, we see in the context of Scripture that were not just the old ones pre-Christ, but those that had come while Christ was here and that proclaimed him. So we've got guys like um, Mark and Luke, who were actually not of the original 12 disciples, but they wrote Mark and Luke, some of the gospel writers that talked about what the family looks like, what the gospel looks like. We've got the author of Hebrews. That could be Paul, but we're uncertain if that's exactly who Paul is, but it's somebody who was discipled and mentored by the original apostles. We've got Jesus' half-brother, James, who wrote the book of James, who actually wasn't one of the original 12 disciples. So we have these prophets of old that point to Jesus, and then these prophets that kind of walked alongside him or those that walked alongside him that um, spoke scripture and the gospel in here. So that's the context we, so that stands firm on this, scripture alone. That's why we here would say that we ascribe to scripture alone being the, the, the content in which we put and found our faith on. So it says it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, this household of God. And they set a foundation where salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Like Look at verse 20 again, the second part of it. So it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's what we're going to hone in on today. What does it mean for Christ to be our 
cornerstone. Look at this picture that's going to come up on the screen. And so this is the picture of what a cornerstone is. And so we've, in, back in the day, and I think contextually, we don't, like when we're driving past a construction site, either we see, they kind of block it off so we can't see it, um, or when we see it, we're not necessarily paying attention to how they set this thing up. And the style of building today may be a bit different than how they did it back then. But what they would do is they would get this big, strong, massive, square rock, and they would set it as the starting point, as the primary part of the foundation. That's the primary, and everything, so this rock came first, and everything was aligned with this cornerstone. Everything was measured from this cornerstone. So if we were making a building that was 50 feet by 50 feet, we would start the measurements at the cornerstone. So everything aligned with it. It was the guide in which the, the builders had built things upon. So when, in context, when um, Paul would have said this to the people and he used the term cornerstone, it would have made sense to them. Like they would understand, they would have this mental picture of this primary stone that set the tone for everything in a building that kept things secure and founded and guided and aligned. And so... This is what the cornerstone is. And I love how Isaiah, hundreds of years before, says this. This is Isaiah 28, 16 and 17. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Speaking about Jesus, the Messiah that's to come hundreds of years later. This cornerstone is what united in context the Jews and the Gentiles. So the Jews were this people group that came, that they were the Israelites, that God, we see in the Old Testament, it's God's chosen people. And they were walking around acting like they were these uh, religious hierarchy, that they were the best. And then the gospel starts to spread like wildfire among the Gentiles, which were just kind of everybody else. And if you, like like we, (laughs) that's us, we're the Gentiles, unless you're of Jewish descent. Like we're the Gentiles, like this is good news for us. And he said, I have come to unite both Jew and Gentile into my household. And how are they to align? How are they to come together? They are to come together by Christ Jesus being their cornerstone. So he not only tears down the walls of hostility, that's what we see a little earlier on, where it says he tears down the walls of hostility between us and him and us and other people groups. He tears down these walls of hostility, but then he rebuilds his household on a secure foundation, one that is impenetrable, one that is indestructible, that's the, the household that he is building for himself, one that nothing can ever destroy. So when they tore down the temple in Jerusalem, that didn't destroy the church, did it? The church is still alive and well. And I think often there are even writers, uh, both secular and Christian, that say, oh, the church is dying in America. The church is not dying. The gospel is going forth in the world. And, and there are churches spring up all over the world. Now, in America, there may be an issue happening because we have not set and grounded ourselves on that cornerstone. And so we've gotten off track. But the church as a whole is not dying. Like, it is spreading like wildfire. Why? Because it is the good news and the only hope for all of mankind. 
And so we have to understand that the, the questions that come up, then why, is the, like why are people in America not believing in this? Or the questions come up, why then is there pain or hurt or persecution in the world? Well, you see, because every person in the world will not align to this cornerstone. Right now, our government does not align to this cornerstone. The majority of the people in America do not align to this cornerstone. And in fact, they don't want to. So 1 Peter 2.4, this is uh, Peter, one of the disciples. He says this, as you come to him, a living stone. So as you, Christians, come to Jesus, a living stone, he is rejected by men. But in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. So men will reject him as their cornerstone. But God has chosen him to be the cornerstone. We see um, Mark quoting King David in uh, Mark 12.10 and Psalm 118.22 where he says, Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. So Mark is quoting King David, the one who slayed Goliath, saying that there's gonna be this cornerstone that the builders are gonna reject. Here's the cornerstone. Everything needs to align with this and be measured by this. And these builders are gonna go over here and try to set a new foundation. They're gonna try to set their own foundation. When Jesus is born, we see this very clearly where these really successful uh, guys called wise men, they were successful leaders of the day, they go to pay homage, right? They go to worship this baby. And what does the king of that day do? He tries to kill all the babies because he doesn't want this king to be born. So you've got a people that will, that will say Jesus is the cornerstone and you will have a people that say he is not the cornerstone. And we've seen that generation over generation over generation. Wars were fought over this. This man. The most, con, uh, the most um, I just lost the word, um, controversial, thank you, the most controversial leader of all time that, that people have argued about for generations. Is he God or is he not? Has he come and did he raise again from the dead or did he not? Peter, a little later on, verse 2.8, says, Jesus was a stone that caused people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Most people want to align with something very, very different than Jesus as their cornerstone. In fact, I would say that they want themselves to be the cornerstone. They want to be the ones to say, we are the end-all, be-all. Humanity, that's where the Tower of Babel started getting built. When humanity looked at themselves and said, we are the most powerful. We are the ones that matter. And so we see this over and over again throughout history. These nations that are grounded and founded. Does this sound a little bit familiar for us as Americans? Nations that were grounded and founded in faith in Jesus alone. Then begin to stray over time, over time, over time. For what? For their own will, their own desire, their own wants. Because what they think he is saying is, is uh, stopping them from enjoying what they want to enjoy. Which is sin. And what the Bible says will only bring them death. So that's a big deal. I think that's why social media as a whole is, is like destroying our world. Because it is a very selfie-focused mindset where it's all about me and what I want, what I desire, and, and getting people to understand me and my words and my thoughts. I mean, everybody on social media is an expert on something. 
And then you look into their like background and you're like, they didn't even like go to school for these things. They don't really know about these things. But then they're telling me like all these recipes for uh, life. And you're, you're, everybody wants to be this because everybody wants themselves to be that cornerstone. They want to be the next Instagram hotness. They want to be the next person that's making millions. And, and so that's spreading like wildfire. So we were talking about this the other day with some friends is that we have this younger generation of young married couples that are getting married and they're thinking that what uh, success looks like is that in their early 20s is to go out and buy their house, buy their cars and, and have a baby right away. Because that's what they're seeing on Instagram. They're seeing this and they're saying, that's what life must be. Like, I need to get that now. When our parents spent years and years and years saving up to buy their house, years and years and years working and trying to earn this, now we just want it because it's due to us. Like, that's all coming out of a mindset of it's all about me. Kids, the world is telling you today it's all about you. What you want, what you desire, and what you want and what you desire is good. Like, hey, that's good. And the Bible's saying, no, 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 your heart is wicked above all things. And God has given you his word so that you can know his goodness and know the path to life. He wants us to know this. And so this stuff, the world, our media, social media, it feeds the beast that the devil has created inside of humanity, which is very self-focused, self-centered. And we have to become Christ-centered. So Jesus as our cornerstone looks like this. In our lives, every single day, the first thing is that Jesus, our cornerstone, comes first. This is what this practically practically looks like in each and every one of our lives. We put him first in everything. His will, his desire for our time, our talent, and our resources. Or if you're Southern Baptist and you want three T's, time, talent, treasures. There you go. All right? So, it, like, last week we took this inventory. And it's a hard inventory to take because I, I took it myself and I'm like, ugh. But is, if you look at your time, 168 hours a week, maybe 110 of those, you're awake and, you know, there. How, many of that, how much of that time is dedicated to glorifying God as the number one purpose that you've put him first in everything that you do? Your talents, the gifts that God has given you, the mind, the hands, the, the, the passions, how much of that is dedicated to putting him first? Or resources. Go to your Amazon account. How much is bought to just fulfill the need? How many things do you buy a day? The buy now button. Just to feed this culture that we've grown in of I want what I want when I want. We're the spoiled girl in Willy Wonka. Right? I want it and I want it now. Right? That's the, that's the mindset that we have. And we have been given to it with this thing called Amazon and the internet where we just hit click and it comes. And the money that pays for it is just out there. It's in the Twitterverse, right? It's in the cloud. We don't even think about it. Right? Do we put God first in all that we do? Jesus, our cornerstone, comes first. Jesus, our cornerstone, is our foundation. Life is hard. It is. 
if you have not experienced that life is hard, here's a promise. You will. Happy Father's Day. Life is hard. Things in life will hurt. People will hurt you. There will be ups and downs in stock markets. Bitcoin will come and go. Things will tank. Governments will come and go. Political parties will come and go. And some of it will be very prosperous and some of it will be really hard. But Jesus has to be the foundation through it all. He has to be the one that we have set our feet upon. We sang the song. This house upon a... The sand or the rock? Have we built our house on the only sure foundation? Jesus, our cornerstone, comes first. Jesus is our foundation. How often do we try to fix our problems before going to God? I know I'm guilty of that. I tend to want to fix the stuff and then go to God and say, hey, can you bless the thing that I just put together to fix the problem? Versus when the problem arises, me going to God and surrendering everything to him as my foundation. And then Jesus, Jesus, our cornerstone, guides our every step. We don't move without pursuing him. If it's not of him, we don't move. I actually was having this conversation with a buddy um, and I, I was saying how I feel like for my generation um, in this culture here in Southwest Florida, like the, the, some of my friends like are really successful and they're making a lot of business moves and a lot of job moves and a, a lot of um, decisions in their lives. Um, and what it's starting to do, it's starting to suck them away from their family and it's starting to suck them away from serving the Lord. Um, and they're like dedicating themselves like all men tend to do and even women, um, which is like just devote themselves fully to their career, to building it up because they're afraid that if they don't do it now, they're gonna lose the opportunity to do it. And what I'm watching is my friends sacrifice their families and their marriages for success so that they could have money, so that they could provide a better life for their kids, yet be absent. And I said to one of these guys, I said, we have to stop doing this. We have to start going to the Lord with every business opportunity and, and every job promotion and sitting before him saying, God, I need to count the cost. There's a passage of scripture where God says, no man goes into building a house without counting the cost. We need to count the cost on some of these things and some of these transitions, and we're not counting those costs. We're seeing this uh, $20,000 raise, and so we're going after the raise, but we're not counting the cost on what that's gonna do to sacrifice for our family or for our kids or for um, our community and for our church. And, and we're making these decisions based off of a logical idea, but not going to God with it. And his response, which broke my heart, was, yeah, we don't have to go to God with all those little things. And it broke my heart because they're not little things. They're our kids' souls. They're our wives' souls. Like, this is a big deal. Like, four to six percent of our community 
will attend church today. And even today, looking around this room, it's light because we live in a culture of transience. That means 90-something percent of the people that you and I know want nothing to do with Jesus. And because of that, there is an eternal place that will separate them from the God of all things and put them into eternal damnation separated from their creator. Something has to stir inside of us that causes us to realize and remember that we have a purpose, not just the people that stand on a platform, that every man, woman, and child that professes faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior has a purpose to go, therefore, and make disciples. To go, therefore, and tell everybody in your circle of accountability because God has surrounded you with people that I will never be able to go talk to. Like, if you think that bringing people to church is the best way for them to hear the gospel, it's not. The best way for them to hear the gospel is you live it out and you tell them about it. And as you share your testimony and your good news, that will spread like wildfire because God is real and his Holy Spirit is at work. And we don't have to care if we're fumbling through it. And, and if we, like Paul even said, like one of the greatest communicators that we know of in, uh, in the Bible, like said that I came to these communities with like words of fumbling. My speech wasn't eloquent. I just shared with you Jesus and him crucified, his life, death, and resurrection. Are we owning the lostness of our community? Are we making these decisions without pressing into Jesus and asking him for his guidance? He comes first. He is our foundation. He guides our every step. And he aligns and impacts all relationships. Every, there's not one relationship in your life that Jesus should not be the cornerstone of. If you're in a relationship, man, woman, with someone that is not your spouse, and Jesus is not the cornerstone of that relationship, you're treading on very thin ice. And you need to be very, very careful because that is where the devil attacks. We think it's harmless, but often, and you have to do this throughout your whole life, is check your heart in these relationships and say, is Jesus the cornerstone? He aligns and unites all relationships for his glory. His glory and making his name great should drive every single one of our relationships with both believers and non-believers. Like I shouldn't just be content with knowing my neighbor. My heart should yearn and pray for my neighbor to come to know Jesus. That's what should align my relationship with my neighbor. And so how does this practically play out? Well, dads, it's Father's Day. Now, women, singles, children, I'm coming for you next, so don't tune out, all right? Do you desire to glorify God by leading your family in this way as Jesus as your cornerstone? Do you desire that? Is Jesus the cornerstone that sets the course of your life? Men, this is for you, soon to be dads, dads. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. I want you to look at two things in that. Be strong in love. Men, 
We need to learn to love better. We need to learn to nurture more. How do we be men? We stand firm in the gospel and we love those around us well. So I have some reflection questions and this is for everybody. This is for us, right? And here's what I want us to do. I want us to, I want you to take out your phones. Like, yeah, I'm giving you the permission to do that. Um, I want you to take a picture of this because I want you to bring this throughout your day. If some of you have a handout, I think they're on there as well. But I want you to wake up every morning over the next week and I want you to ask yourself these four questions. Does Christ come first in everything I do? If you wake up before your feet hit the ground, does Christ come first in everything I do? Is he my foundation when things get tough? Does he guide my every step and every relationship? And am I founding my life on his word? They should all be up there now. Please take a picture. I want you to see this. I want you to use this. Like this is a challenge for me. That before I get, my, get out of the bed in the morning, that I have this printed off next to my bed somewhere and I ask these questions of myself. And then here's what I want you to know. You can't do this on your own. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. In those moments when you read this and the answer is maybe no for all of them, surrender. Say, Jesus, hey, I'm gonna screw this up. I know I'm gonna screw this up. Help me. I don't believe I can do this, but help my unbelief. I don't believe this is true, but help me in this. Let your spirit do the work in and through me. And I think that we will see a massive transformation in our parenting, in our relationships, in our workplaces, and in our community if this becomes the foundation, if Jesus becomes the cornerstone in each and every one of our lives. So I want to give us a real-life testimony. I'm going to invite the band to come back on up. But here's a real-life testimony of somebody that actually lived and experienced Jesus not as their cornerstone, and then they saw this massive transformation of Jesus as their cornerstone. Sound good? I find this in the book of Daniel. This really happened. This is a story that's found in history, and it's of a king, and his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And often we know this story as uh, King Nebuchadnezzar being the guy that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. So he was a very self-centered man. And he said, everybody has to bow down and worship this idol I created. And these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow down. And so he throws them into this thing called a fiery furnace. And they didn't burn up. Jesus saves them in their moment of helplessness. And so then King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes, oh my goodness, their God must be real because he saved them. So now I profess faith in Jesus or in God. Right? So that's what happens in this moment. And then Daniel chapter 4 happens. And that's the context. We're coming in from King Nebuchadnezzar seeing the power of God by saving these boys in a fire. And it says in Daniel 4, He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power 
as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. You think he forgot about something? He's standing on his rooftop looking over this kingdom that God had given him and all of a sudden starts bowing up, saying, look what I did, look what I built. I'm the man. And immediately, his life is changed because he is not the man. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere. And this is what happens. God drove him from among men, and he ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as either eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. God removed his kingdom from him. Men, if you ever, women, if you ever stand upon your life and look over it and go, look what I built, look what I've done, you have to realize that there is an almighty God that can take that in an instant. We live in a fallen world. Things will crash, markets will crash, sickness will plague us. No vaccine is gonna save us from that. Like, like sickness is a part of our world until Jesus comes back. Cancer, hopelessness, death. I can guarantee every single person in this room of something, 100%, that you will all die. Happy Father's Day again. Like, that is true for all of us. And the success that we have found and the success that we have built our lives upon can be taken from us in an instant. Anybody else freak out when COVID first hit? I couldn't sleep for two weeks because I didn't, one, we didn't have any toilet paper, but two, <laughs> like I, my, my, world, I, my world was crashing down. I didn't know what to do. It's like, I've got to provide for my family, my kids. But that was me thinking through a self-centered mindset of not recognizing that God is my provider. He is my protector. And so he's out, King Nebuchadnezzar is out with the, the beasts of the field. And you guys can start playing if you want. Daniel 4, 34 through 37. He says this, and I almost want to read this as like a prayer over us because I want you to see the transformation in his heart and his mind of going from this look at me to look at him mindset. I am the cornerstone to he is the cornerstone. This is what has to take place. Daniel 4, 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Four. Now he's setting the proper cornerstone. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and splendor, it returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all of his works 
are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are not. And we have to stop acting like we are. Can I pray for us? Jesus, this is one of those things that's easier said than done. We know, God, because your spirit that dwells within us, what it looks like in a lot of ways to surrender our life to you and dedicate our life to you. But practically day in and day out, I struggle, we struggle. So God, right now, I pray that you do what you can do through your mighty power, your sovereign, almighty, all-knowing power to move and change and transform our hearts from being self-centered to being Christ-centered. God, you are our secure foundation. You are our cornerstone. You are a good, good father. And you want us. You desire us. You want a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with us. So God, where we lack in reading your word, I pray that you give us a desire to read your word. Where we lack in prayer, I pray that you give us the desire to pray. Stir in us affections for you that we would pursue you as the most important thing in our lives and that that would overflow out of our lives into the world around us. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Youth, you are dismissed. If you are in middle school or high school or going into middle school and you're in here, uh, we have a team that's gonna go in the back and just process some of this with you in a practical way for your age group. So you guys can go back there now. Thanks for joining us today. Um, there's another thing that we're gonna do this morning. Um, our mission partner, Ride Nature, uh, got hit with a really big flood. Um, and so the... Um, the House of Ride Nature, um, their mission center down in Nicaragua um, is okay. Their facilities are okay, um, but their surrounding community has been decimated, um, and they have a huge opportunity to minister and share the gospel through helping these families relocate and rebuild that community around them. And so I was talking with Mark this week, and we want to give you an opportunity to respond, to give to them. And so this is how we're going to do that. Um, we are going to have ushers uh, with baskets come forward. I, normally, I know we normally don't pass baskets, um, but we're going to do that. Um, if you have cash or checks, every uh, bit of cash that you put in today will go towards Ride Nature, as well as all the checks. If you write in the memo line, uh, Ride Nature, Ride Nature, um, that will go to them. We'll cut them a check at the end of the week, as well as you can go online. And so when you go online, I think the give slide should be up. Um, so they're going to put the give slide up. Um, you can go to our website. There is a give online tab. Once you click that tab, um, you, there's going to be a drop-down menu, menu for community impact. And I know this was a little unclear when we did this for Haiti Bible Mission. And so we set this up specifically for this. So when you go to online, that drop-down menu will say community impact. So everything given in the next week that says, that is dedicated for community impact will go to 
ride nature so that they can minister to the people around them in Nicaragua. Um, God has given us a ton. Um, and the ask would be is that we sacrifice a little so that they may experience a lot and ultimately have the opportunity to hear, see, and respond to the good news of Jesus. And so please don't give under compulsion, but give generously unto the Lord um, because we have the opportunity to make a huge impact on that world down there. Amen? Amen. Love you guys. Would you stand with us as we continue in worship?